You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Um, so uh, I'm going to do my best to articulate all this. There's a lot of information. Uh, we really uh, just want to be full disclosure as we walk into this process. Um, having already done this a year and a half ago, we know that real estate is a, it's a fickle business. And uh, so, you know, it's a vulnerable process as far as like, okay, engaging with all of that. But we just want you to be fully aware, full disclosure of how we're choosing to engage moving forward. Does that sound okay? So um, you can put the first slide up. It's a, it's a picture of the building. So this is the building that we have under contract. It's Fairview and 24th Street. It's the Boise Rescue Missions Warehouse, if you're familiar with that. Uh, there's the new St. Luke's downtown. There's the new, like, apartment complex. And then this building is right next door. Um, so we have this under contract. We really like the space. It's probably a stone. It's about two stones throws from where we started in the dance studio. So it'd be kind of like OG going back to our roots, um, you know, but there's, there's multiple reasons. Um, you know, we've, we've really sought hard to try to find a space that could be a downtown campus because uh, we've just, this is where the church began and we feel an affinity for this area um, in this same uh, just down the street, you know, it's like Road Skate Park. There's also a New Path Community Housing, which is housing some of the most, um, you know, painful, broken people within our city. And, you know, in downtown is both the life of a city, and it's also where the pain of a city is most felt. And um, I feel like it's a, it'd be a beautiful opportunity, beautiful neighborhood to move into that would certainly um, present new challenges and opportunities to us for to grow and actually to bring the kingdom of God to our city. So uh, we like the space. We like the location. And uh, we have the building under contract, and it is set to close on October 1st. Um, I want to be real with you all, though, with the contingencies. So these are the things that have to clear before closing happens, right? So can I get an amen? All right, we have some contingencies that have not closed in the past, right? So uh, we have contingencies. First of all is that the Boise Rescue Mission is in a three-way deal. They've said that we can be full disclosure with this publicly, so it's public information. They are selling two of their properties and then closing on a new property, and they are all happening. It's a, it's a three-way deal, all closing on October. First, so they have some of their own contingencies. Like, so if the if the purchase of their building doesn't go through, ours doesn't go through either. Does that make sense? So all of our contingencies can clear. If they don't clear, we're still out of luck. So it's kind of a faith journey on their side as well. Um, as far as our side of the equation, we do have some contingencies. First and uh, foremost is going to be parking. Um, this is different than the building that we pursued about a year and a half ago in that most likely we're going to be able to clear the city requirements to build what would be about a 600-person sanctuary within the space. It would be a 600-person sanctuary, classrooms, offices. It would be a full um, church campus. Um, that size we would clear from city code, which is good because... The city can be like, you know, they're the people that can shut you down, take your permits and stuff. Um, but we're still trying, we're working with an engineer that should get back to us early in the week as far as how many spaces. This front lot right here, these two buildings are an old uh, gas station and it is environmentally clear. I know some people think about that when I say that. Those would be torn down. This would be parking. This back lot would be parking. And right here in the middle uh, is about a 20,000 square foot shell of a warehouse. Um, and it would be double story and portions of it where it would be built out. So 
Uh, we have to, there's, a, there's the clearing parking with the city, and then there's clearing parking from like a practical standpoint. So the city only requires about one, and with some exceptions because of bike racks, about one to six people. So we're basically going to have about 100 to 115 parking spots. <laughs> yeah, right? I know that's the nervous chuckle of like, I've already been driving around this place too many times, right? <laughs> Um, and so there, there, there are, are going to be practical issues. Um, one of those being in a downtown area, there's always um, issues. You know, I know people that have been in churches in L.A., Portland. There are thriving churches in the downtown area where people are, you know, have to park in the neighborhoods and walk in. And so there will be practical things that we're trying to assess if those are um, in, within reason that we're going to be able to solve those so that this would be uh, doable. The other thing we love about this uh, campus is that uh, on the top of the screen, what you can't see is that is, uh, that's Ennis Fine Furniture. And uh, you know, so there's the potential of one day being able to purchase that and we would have an entire city block that would be a downtown campus of a church. So yeah, so those, uh, the, we have the parking contingency and then second, we have financial contingency. And so uh, we can go to the next slide. This is just the numbers. We want to be full disclosure with you, so if you have questions, um, we will field them. It may not be immediate because of the nature of how much is time and energy is going into this um, currently, but we, you know, we have a commitment from a financial standpoint that all our books are open, everything we do is open. So just know that as we're walking into this, there's, there's a commitment to transparency. Um, the, the total finance will be around 4.3 million. Uh, the purchase price of the building is 2.8. The construction loan would be roughly 1.2 based on the quote that we have from a builder who's worked with most, uh, he's, I think he's built about 40 churches in our valley, uh, so he, he knows what he's talking about. We have a quote of 1.2, and then uh, soft cost would be you know, furniture, sound equipment, things like that. That may be lumped into construction loan, it may not, but it's going to be about another 300K. So it's about a 4.3 million finance. And so our fundraising goal, uh, looking forward, we can go to the next slide. This is the kind of realistically what we're looking at as far as the timeline. Um, we raised, you know, just for reference, a year and a half ago, we raised around roughly $600,000 in about 12 days um, for that building that did not go through. So this time, we actually, we have tons of time compared to that, right? So <laughs> it's no big deal. Um, I know the numbers can seem startling, but the reality is that, you know, we're a church with monthly attendance. We don't have exact numbers, but probably uh, between six and eight hundred distinct individuals coming in. You know, that's including kids, but hey, they gave, they gave sacrificially last time for real, so we're not counting them out. Um, you know, but uh, uh, we need about $700,000 by October 1st closing date, so realistically, it would be more like the week prior, September 22nd is the, or the 29th, within, between that week. We would need uh, $700,000 to feel comfortable moving forward, and that would cover the down payment on the building. And then the reason for the February 1st date is because that, that is when construction would most likely begin, and we would begin um, operating out of and moving into the, the, the construction loan. So we... Uh, uh, we've sat as a, a we, so we have a, a board of elders and then we have a finance team and uh, we had a meeting this week as a finance team and um, basically these numbers, uh, we feel very, very comfortable um, within this realm moving forward to, that we'd be very easily um, would cover the operating expenses of the building and all the new costs that would be incurred and basically with the, the same amount 
just the current church size um, and the current finances of our church, we would be able, if we can raise capital up front, to be able to operate and not just cover expenses, but actually begin to move towards uh, a debt-free church. So that's really our goal. We do not want to sacrifice ministry on the altar of some sort of a big church or a big building. So that's really not the intent in this. Um, The need is that we have no classroom spaces. We're doing three, five, and seven o'clock. Our parking is crammed. You know, we can't do four and six because you can't even find a seat. And, you know, and so we really feel like God is desiring us to uh, to, to move. Um, so this is our fundraising goals, and, and that first benchmark will really be our determining factor over the next weeks um, if we can clear our financial contingency and make our down payment. Um, what we're going to do a little different this time than we did last time is we raised that money last time and then said if we don't get the building, we're going to give it all back. So I felt like Santa Claus one day, like just passing out 600k back to people. It was like, I know it's your money, but it still kind of feels cool, you know? But uh, uh, this time, because of the nature of how the real estate is in the market right now, we, we estimate we have about 12 to 16 months tops um, really here left in this building. And, uh, you know, and even that is already uncomfortable, and we've been uncomfortable here for a year already. And so um, whatever building that we do end up getting into, so even if things don't clear, Boise Rescue Mission's contingencies fail, um, we're going to raise the money, and we're actually going to continue in this campaign, this capital campaign, regardless of if it works out with Boise Rescue, because we feel like we need to actually be poised and positioned to be able to move on something when the opportunity presents itself. So um, we seek to steward um, everything well, so we just want to be upfront. That'll be one difference that we'll do this time. So um, you can go to the, the last slide. And, you know, I'm not going to do like some emotional, raw, raw, you know, finance pitch, um, because really we want this to be spirit-led. Do we have the just, oh, we don't have it. So the last is just that there's two ways that you can partner with this. One is through check, uh, and the other one is through push pay. And uh, we would ask that you don't give cash. I just say that because there was a lot of cash given last time. <laughs> it was like, whoa, especially, you know, so it's just, we prefer not to work in cash. I don't like to feel like a drug dealer. Um, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. People were like calling me or my mom and like, I need to meet you right now. I'd be like, I have cash. It was just like, that's amazing, but like check works better, you know what I mean? So uh, cash uh, or push pay. With push pay, there are processing fees. And so um, we would prefer check. That just makes it a lot cleaner and a lot easier through and through. And then, you know, when you start looking at something like 1.4 million and you look at a one, even a one to 3% processing fee, that, that adds up quick. So um, those are the means that you can give. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll give an update week to week. Um, But really, I would just ask for you to seek the Lord and ask what he would want you to do to offer uh, to build uh, ourselves a home. Um, One of the things that, uh, you know, we talk about healthy family all the time, and we haven't had a home yet. And I think that uh, there's been a lot of internal growth and a lot of development over these last three years. And even in in my heart, you know, it doesn't surprise me that this opportunity is presenting itself because it just felt like, Lord, it's time. It's time for us to have a home and have a space where we can really move in and position ourselves in, in, in land within our city. You know, and God gave Israel their promised land. You know, there's, the land was their inheritance. And 
uh, we've kind of been like, you know, aliens renting somebody else's house and doing this pilgrim thing, and it's been beautiful. Um, but I also look forward with great anticipation that God would want to give us an inheritance in our city and a physical, you know, apportionment of it where we can create a stronghold of righteousness and holiness and the truth and the power of the gospel coming right into the downtown of, of our city, which is a growing, flourishing, thriving city with lots of life happening, but we'd be anchored right in the middle of it. And so uh, I would invite you to join um, you know, we join in our worship, we join in so many ways, but to join and, and, and sow, even sacrificially, um, in, into the building of what the Lord is creating here. Uh, I, there was one story last time uh, that moved me so much, and it was a young man. I think he was uh, 10 years old or something like that. I may be botching it, and I don't want to tell us I didn't ask permission, but he'd been saving up for uh, a bike for a long time, and it was like a few hundred bucks. And... Uh, he wrote this little uh, letter, and he said, I wanted to give this to get ourselves a church instead of my bike. <laughs> I was wrecked, man. It was 300 bucks. I was wrecked. I was really happy I got to give him the money back, too. He's like, dude, go get your bike now. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, we invite you. You're formally welcome to give your money <laughs> to get us a building. If you have any questions, um, reach out, um, and even if you have questions about, you know, where the money would sit, uh, if we didn't get the building, like, it's, it's transparency. So um, we're excited for this season, and we're, and we're expectant that God's going to do a miracle, and he's going to provide as only he can. And so uh, I'm just going to pray, and then we'll transition on. So Father, I thank you, Lord, that your, your fire falls on sacrifice, God, and that even when David went to build you a temple, he would not, he wouldn't receive even uh, the land without it costing him something. Lord, and I thank you that, that you, you invite us as a family at times to sacrifice into something uh, that's even bigger than ourselves. And I just pray, Lord, uh, that, that if you, you would just put a burden and that you would speak, God, and you would, you would really fill us with a joy God, an expectancy in our heart that if we're to give and if we're to sow and how much we're to sow, God, that as we, as we really search you, God, that you'd even you'd give people numbers. God, I pray that you would, you would put numbers that would even be bigger than what they would come up on themselves, God, because you're stretching our faith, God, to believe you that you're the God of the impossible. God, that you're the God who spoke and created the universe, that you're the God who can take uh, a, one man named Abraham and make him a nation. Lord, that you're a God who began this tiny little thing called River House, and you're going to take us, and you're going to grow us, and you're going to give us an inheritance, and you're going to give us a home so that you can establish your purposes, God, as you root us and plant us in, in, in the exact location that you want us to. And so, God, we love you. It is our joy to worship you, and I pray, Lord, that your fire and your presence will fall on the sacrifice, the corporate sacrifice, God, that we will just offer you a pleasing aroma, Lord, that you can have a, a habitation in our city. That is our desire. So we thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity, and we bless you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. You guys fired up? What time is it? Okay. We're going to switch gears now. You have notes? That's new, huh? 
I've never done this before, but the Lord spoke to me really explicitly this week and said, I want you to have notes. And uh, really, I'm, I got my teaching hat on tonight, and um, so I'm going to teach. And we're going to start by just uh, honoring the word of the Lord uh, being spoken. And so I've asked Penny Woodward if she would uh, read a scripture for us publicly, and I'm actually all to stand to just honor uh, the public reading of scripture. This is Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and on their hearts will I write it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will no more teach each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. They will recognize, understand, and be acquainted with me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will seriously remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. I'm supposed to say praise be to God, but okay. So I, I opened up a, a, a topic that I'm going to just call uh, the series Questioning Authority, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, two weeks ago... And I, I used a, a, a discrepancy between disciples and Pharisees to say, to show how disciples, they asked Jesus questions when they didn't understand, when they were disturbed, when they were offended. The Pharisees made assumptions, and the fruit of those decisions was life and transformation for the disciples of Jesus. They learned, they were changed, their minds were renewed. And the Pharisees went on a path that led to spiritual death and ultimately a crucifixion because their assumptions uh, led them uh, in, in, in that direction. And so uh, we need to be like disciples and we need to learn how to ask Jesus questions. And particularly when it comes to authority, um, you know, authority creates often a rub within us and it can be provoking. And so this is just a... I, just going to give you a quick recap of last week. And I essentially said that God bestows authority to create the church, right? And there's two kind of pitfalls that we can come on the, the dynamic that I see in church culture. One is I can just kind of like fall into line with the culture. I don't understand what God's doing in the culture, but I start focusing on the more external things. And I shared, you know, things like the routinization of the charismata. This is a phenomena that takes place where God starts moving, and there's a culture, and the Spirit starts moving in certain ways. All throughout church history, this could be weeping, this could be laughing, this could be whatever it is. But then God's no longer moving like that anymore, but people are continuing to do the experience because it's become routine, because they never understood what God was doing in the culture. They just kind of took it at face value and just went with it and focused on the externalities. Does this make sense? And the other way is that we can get a Offended by what takes place in the culture, and we can make assumptions about that, and we can actually reject God's authority and His leadership of what He was wanting to do in us because we've had of our assumptions, right? So, really, the the key and what I said to all this is we need to come to understand 
God's authority. We need to understand what Jesus is doing, why he's doing things, how he is leading a church community. Right? And I'm speaking in a local church, so I'm speaking to us tonight. You know, some people will listen on the podcast, but this is the context of Riverhouse Church, and I'm speaking to people that are in a local church. We got to learn how to come under the authority of the Lord Jesus. And I'll just be full disclosure, part of why I'm teaching on this is I think that this is a topic that is really misunderstood and there's a lot of thoughts around it and we all kind of like know we should come under authority but we don't really know what that means and then pastors don't really like to talk about it because it's uncomfortable so I had someone come up to me last week they're like you got a lot of guts to speak on authority and I was like yeah I guess so but it's like kind of essential because I believe coming under the authority of Jesus lordship is actually our entrance into the kingdom of God Right? So I want to talk about this. I want us to understand this. And we are going to create space for some, some question and answer. We are going to try to do it tonight if we have time. But over the next three weeks, I'm going to actually contextualize what I'm opening up tonight into the life of our church, prayer, family, mission, how we're using authority to create a culture here. And I'm hoping to create space for some healthy conversation and asking questions in an effective way because I believe a church that knows how to ask questions to one another and ultimately to God will find answers because he's the one who reveals mysteries. Right? And a church that knows how to ask questions is a church of healthy disciples that are gonna, they're gonna find the truth and the truth's gonna set them free and they're gonna mature and they're gonna grow. There's something very vital about learning how to use our voice to ask questions. Does that sound okay? You ever heard a sermon like this before? I haven't either, honestly. So I'm excited. All right, so um, Ravi Zacharias, he's an Indian apologist, so that just means he, he defends the faith. He speaks in a lot of settings. But I, I came across uh, some, some, an offering that he had just on some sociological, philosophical um, worldview stuff that I think actually will be very applicable for us tonight in understanding authority. So I'm going to introduce a few big terms, but I think that they'll make sense to you. Right, so he says there's three cultures in relation to absolute. So absolute being like God, deity. So three types of religious cultures that we see in our world. Uh, theonomous culture is theo, God, nomos, law, governed by God. Right, so uh, everyone holds the same morals. All laws are self-evident, and they're ingrained in the heart. Right, Penny just read... Uh, this prophetic picture of a theonomous culture, right? Nobody will ask their neighbor to know what's God like. Everyone will know me. The law won't be external in your behaviors. It will actually be written in your heart. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a God-governed culture. That's a theonomous culture, right? The next is there's a heteronomous culture. And this is when the mainstream of culture, right, the masses are actually controlled by the few. They're setting the agenda of how to think and what you should do and how you should live your life. And this would be like the Islamic State ideal that we see in different nations in the Middle East, where the few are dictating to the masses how they're going to live. And so it brings this sense of Conformity. Does that make sense? Heteronymous culture. And the last is an autonomous culture, and that is auto, self, nomos, law, self-law. Each person determines their own moral prerogative. Right? So this is the, the, the world we live in of subjective morality. That only exists in an autonomous culture where everyone is governing themselves. Right? So I think it'd be clear to say, what is the United States of America? 
It is an autonomous culture. So we need to understand, right, that we are a self-governed culture. We, we idolize the individual drive, the ideals, the American dream that you can go. Like, this is what we celebrate in our culture, work ethic, discipline, those that individuality, right? So these are all things that thrive in an autonomous culture, right? And this is important to understand because the kingdom... Right, which is the king's domain, the king's realm of authority, is a theonomous culture, not an autonomous culture. Right? God isn't like, hey, I want you all to get to heaven so you can all govern yourselves. Right? No, you'll be governed by me. I am the perfect leader. I am God. I'll be God. You'll be dependent upon me. But that's how this whole thing's going to work. Yeah? Just say, yeah, that helps me think, feel better about myself, okay? So, and we see it like in Revelation 21, uh, this is 21 verse 22. I saw no temple in it, the Jerusalem, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God illumines it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, because there'll be no night, the gates will never be closed. They'll bring glory and honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one that practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Right? It's, this is God's economy right here. Right? It's this speaking of almost business transactions, the glory of the nations. Right? There's things going to be happening in this heavenly Jerusalem, but it's light. Right? Lawlessness only happens in night. It's the light. It's the presence of God is actually governing a city. This is, this is what we're seeing prophetically here. Does this make sense? Right, so the kingdom is a theonomous culture. The reason I set this up is because I believe that being alive today as a 21st century Christian, living in a Western context, Christian maturity will inevitably mean that we are maturing from an autonomous worldview, right? Where I have an autonomous culture where I am my own leader, and I'm, as I'm maturing and learning to trust and lean and submit to Jesus, I'm actually going to be on this transition from an autonomous way of living into a theonomous culture where God is my Lord and my leader. Does that make sense? So that, that's what God is trying to do when he's maturing us. Right? So the natural starting point is we're autonomous. And this is deeply ingrained within the thinking. It's with deeply ingrained into the membrane of our culture because this is like, this is, this is the water that we swim in. Right? So it, it actually takes a while to even realize how deeply entrenched our own independence is just in a natural state of being raised within our culture because it's so deeply autonomous. All right, so there's a, there's a dilemma I see. There's a recurring problem that, that I've seen, and I think you'd agree with me, in the charismatic church particularly, and that is this, right? In the charismatic movement, people are having really authentic and vital experiences with the Holy Spirit, right? Do, have you had these experiences? Do you love these experiences? Right? I would even say to, do a, to, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and Paul and the other New Testament Christians we see, we need to be filled with the Spirit, right? We need these gift scenes to be activated within us, right? But there is a big distinguishing and a difference between being a Spirit-filled believer and being a Spirit-led Christian, 
right? And this is the problem that I see because, right, our natural, the water we swim in is our own autonomy. Now I have a, a, a charismatic experience where I start having authentic expressions of the gifts. And I now trick myself into saying, I'm, I'm living theonomously. Right? No one actually says that, right? Because that's not a word we use. But that's what we, that's what we basically think. It's like, oh no, I'm not living in my own autonomy. I'm living, I'm living in the spirit, in step with the spirit, right? But we actually use this charismatic experience and the giftings we experience. It's a lot of the word of experience there, but we, we use that to justify and actually put a superficial label on top of our own autonomy. Does this make sense? So I'm living in my own independence, but I'm, I'm actually duped into thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm under the authority of God, right? And for some reason, and in, in particularly I see in the charismatic expression, it's like, if anybody says anything that in any way is going to like possibly mean you can't just express yourself in any way you want to, it's like you are religious, where it's like, we're trying to be people who are under authority, which means I should be so influenceable to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, right? So there's no like competition or like, like him and Jesus are really cool, <laughs> right? So, so we, we, have, we have to recognize that even though I have been filled with the Spirit and I'm, ex I'm expressing myself in authentic, beautiful, like needed ways, I'm still on a journey of learning to come under authority so that I can transition and mature from my own autonomy into God's government, where I am so led, I am spirit-led, right? To be filled with the Spirit does not, does not necessitate whatever, Okay, I played tennis this afternoon. I think I'm still dehydrated because it's so hot, right? Being filled with the Spirit does not mean that you have switched from an autonomous to a theonomous culture in your life. Being led by the Spirit does. Coming, that, is, that is speaking directly to lordship, that you are being led by Jesus Christ, and you've actually had a shift within you that I believe is an ongoing shift. Does this make sense? I have no desire to shut anything down. I have a desire for us to be a church that is so governed by the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ that even though there is freedom and passion being expressed, it is so safe and beautiful because it is like an orchestra that Jesus is just composing and leading, right, with his little wand up here. Like, you know, does that make sense? Right? That's how you know a church is under authority. That's how you know a Christian is under authority. And that, yeah, I, I have all but I am being led by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a submitted vessel to his lordship. There is no more independence in me. You can challenge me however you want. I won't get defensive because I've been challenged by the Holy One and I have come under him completely. I am a submitted vessel. So you challenge, you have nothing to challenge. I have nothing to defend because I am so submitted to the leadership of Jesus Christ in my life. That doesn't happen with one experience where we get filled with the Spirit. That is, that is when we continually lay down and kneel and bend. All right? You following me? 
It's kind of like preaching, teaching, I guess. You following on the notes? Okay, so my next point here is the paradox of Christian leadership and the role of the church. This is where it gets tricky. The kingdom vision of God's government, like coming into our lives, is actually being inaugurated by the church. Right, so the church is actually what is, is initiating this, this theonymous culture called the kingdom into the world. Right, the church is the portal from which this culture, God's leadership, is coming to human beings on earth. Does this make sense? Jesus came and created the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, this community that's to come together to, to be led by God in such a way that as we come under his, his authority, right, this is why coming under authority is the entrance to the kingdom. As we come under Jesus's leadership, right, because he's the head of the church, I'm actually coming into the, my, my natural state of living. Right? We are designed to operate under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's our source of empowerment, and he also protects us. And it is in, in that place, that cocoon of his leadership, that we grow and flourish and can express ourselves. And then ultimately, we, we come under his authority in the church, and then we go out and we express it missionally to the world. Right? Because now we've come into union, and now I don't, I don't ever leave him. Right, We're doing it together. So, so the church is what inaugurates this the, theonomous government of the kingdom in, in the world. It's where, it's where Jesus' leadership is most expressly seen on earth. He is the head of the church. Right? He didn't say, I'm the head of Washington, D.C. politics. I'm the head of, of the CEOs in the marketplace. I'm the head of the education deploying. I'm, no, he didn't say he's the head of any of those things. He says, I am the head of the church, this, this community of called out ones where you're going to come under my leadership so that then you can be sent out to bring transformation to government and politics and business and education and family and all and media and entertainment and arts and sports and all the other things, right? But Jesus is not the head of those things. He's the head of the church. So the church is this, uh, it's this place of, of dissemination, right? Where the, his culture is supposed to infect us. That's why we're to come. That's why we're to commit ourselves to a local church because God's grace is most potently experienced in the corporate gathering of the believers. We can't forsake the public gathering, the corporate gathering, because he disseminates his grace and he's actually in community trying to enculturate us into this theonymous God-governed culture called the kingdom, right? So the church is the servant of the kingdom, Right? So do you see the purpose? You see the significance of the church from God's perspective? Right? And this is why the independent Christian thing makes no sense to God. Because it's supposed to be in community. Right? Because of this. Right? And this is the paradox of Christian leadership. <laughs> the goal of the church, right, is for people to mature and submit themselves to God's leadership and authority, a theonomous culture, <laughs> and yet... God's appointed human beings to lead the church. You think that's, that's kind of funny? Like, I think it's hilarious because I'm one of those human beings. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this is a weird place to be. You want everyone to come under your authority, but then you put me there. <laughs> come on, guys, this is good stuff. 
Well, this is why pastors don't preach on authority. It's like, whoa, this gets real awkward when I really think about it. Half of you are like, I'm actually just curious to hear what you're going to say next. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So a paradox is when two seemingly opposing truths or beliefs are held within the same truth, right? So when two things that seem to conflict are actually housed within the same truth. And so there's tension. God loves using tension. And God loves using paradox because it breaks our minds. Like, that's why. It's just like, hey, I'm bigger than you. So he's trying, I'm bigger than you, okay? So there's a paradox of Christian leadership. And I just want to describe to you the tension uh, that, that, and I, I will just put myself into this, this tension here. And the tension is between a heteronymous, which is this more dictatorial, dict, I'm, I like am off tonight, so forgive me, but you get it, dictatorial type of heteronymous where the, the few dictate for the masses. It's the tension between this and autonomy, right? And this is the tension, and I'll just make it real, and this, is, this plays out all the time. This plays out every Sunday, right? If I exercise authority outside of the Spirit's leadership because I'm insecure or I'm afraid or I'm whatever, and I, I control, I seek to overly control the situation, um, I'm actually stealing freedom from the body of Christ, and I'm creating, I'm actually empowering a heteronymous culture, a paradigm within the church, where now I have overstepped the leadership of Jesus, and I, out of my own insecurity and fear, am controlling and creating a culture and dictating for you what your spiritual culture should be. Does that make sense? Right, Luke, uh, you know, so a religious spirit, when we often, we often say this without defining it, that is when man begins to rule over God's domain. Right, so that is what the Pharisees were doing, and Jesus was so, so upset about it, right? And he rebukes them in Luke 11, but one of the rebukes in verse 52 is, you've stolen the key of knowledge, you don't enter yourselves into the kingdom, is what he's talking about, and then you've kept others from entering as well. You have stolen their freedom because you are exercising your authority over my dominion. That's what a religious spirit does, and it will suck a culture dry because freedom will dissipate, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? So there's, there's the heteronymous tension pillar. The other size of the, the coin and autonomy is if I fail to exercise authority because I'm afraid of what you're going to think of me, because I'm afraid if you're going to like me or not after, because I'm afraid of whatever, if I fail to have the hard conversation, I have by default empowered an autonomous culture that will create ample space for self-righteous pride and independence to foster and flourish. Right? What you tolerate, what you allow is what you empower. So, boom, boom, and then I'm like being pulled. Does this make sense? Right, so the key to unlocking this paradox, it's dependence. Right, that is, that's the posture. It's with fear and trembling and dependence that a leader in the church is to exercise authority. It is in dependence upon what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, doing, in any given moment, in any given conversation. It's utmost dependence. That has to be the priority. Right? And the, the cry of my heart 
in this position, it's always, Jesus, I want to know what you're saying. I want to know what you're doing. Give me wisdom because I do not want to, I don't want to overstep you and I don't want to be passive and afraid. Like I, I have to be in constant communion with his leadership and, and in touch with what he's doing. And it's not just me. Right? And this is why there's an eldership that we're coming together once a month to discern what Jesus is doing and speaking in the life of the church. We have conversations on staff. We've even designated different things, right? So we're constantly trying to create spaces to, to hear and listen to what is Jesus doing, and it's only out of dependence that we become aware of that. Does that make sense? So that's the posture of the heart. It's to be with, um, with, with absolute dependence, and it's a recognition that authority is being stewarded. Right? I'm not here to... Um, manifest my own authority in creating Riverhouse and infuse my own preferences and my own things into it, right? There's oftentimes my preferences have been put that way by God over time and my, over my discipleship, right? But I'm, all, I'm constantly, I've been on this refining journey of coming more and more into the purity of who Jesus is and how he desires to lead his church, right? And it's, it's, it's honestly a very <laughs> difficult sometimes, Right? And again, I just want to make this clear. Authority, uh, it's for two things. It's to empower and it's to protect. Right? And when we speak of empowerment, this is what we love when we talk about leaders. We love leaders that empower us, that inspire us. Right? This is when authority is actually being from coming from underneath to push up and champion others. And I believe that authority is given to make people you lead better than yourself. Hands down, no questions. That is the purpose of authority, and that is its role of empowerment. And I believe that it's designed to humble and get rid of all the flesh and anybody that's exercising spiritual authority because your goal is to make disciples that are more anointed, more gifted, and are double portioned. They have everything you have, and they have everything that they have, and they're bigger than you. They're better than you, right? We love that, right? But authority is also given to protect, and this is what we don't like in an autonomous culture. Because this is when, uh, you know, it's oversight is used and correction. Anybody like, like that? Like, you know, Lord, it's going to be a great Monday tomorrow. Just send me some correction my way. No, we're like, no, give me like a prophetic word that's going to like blast my socks off. We're never like, Jesus, just like, please correct me. Just one of those ones that like just stabs you right in your soul, you know? Like, just give it to me, Lord. And we don't like this because we're an autonomous culture. We are so deeply ingrained to self-govern my own moral prerogative, my own theology, my own what I think should happen, how the church should be, right? We, we me, I can figure it out. And maturity, it's, it's growing under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, our leader, the head of the church, the leader of our lives, right? And it's not enough to just say, oh, yeah. Me and Jesus are so tight. He's my leader. It's like, well, are you involved in a local church? No. Do you, do you sow financially into the church? No. Are you in community at all? No. I read my Bible. How well? Because it tells you to do all those things. Okay, like, I'm just, like, this is the world we live in, very autonomous, and this is just as much in the church as it is in the culture. 
All right, so there's, there's this tension between empowerment and protection that any leader, any good leader will have to exercise both. And I would say that, you know, that, that's, and, and that's the same with Jesus. And this is the truth, is that human leaders, right, because the church is to tutor us in the leadership of Christ, human leaders, right, the, 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 when they exercise authority from both underneath and then from above, they're actually teaching us and developing boundaries. They're developing in, in, the ability for us to actually recognize Jesus' leadership in our life. Because like Paul talks about often how you're immature, like you just, you should, you should be ready for meat, but you're not. You just need milk, right? Because we're infants in the spirit and we're learning how to, how to understand the kingdom, right? It's just like in the natural. My mom had to bust my butt way more than I liked, right? She'd always tell me, Jordan, I'm doing this because I love you. And I'd be like, you're sick. You're sick. You do not love me. Nobody that loves me would ever hit me with that much passion. Right? Because my mother disciplined me, when I got later in life, I, I, I intrinsically knew how to recognize the boundaries of authority and how to recognize when someone had authority in my life and how to come under it because her correction actually trained me to recognize the realm of authority, which is a spiritual thing, but it's very real as well in our world, right? So, so in the same way, right, because we think we're all grown up, Jesus calls us sheep, he calls us sheep. Sheep aren't very smart. We're constantly learning, right? So he puts us in community, and he establishes spiritual authority in our life that are not perfect. But they are, they are as they exercise that authority, it's actually to teach us, hey, this is what my correction feels like. This is what my authority, this is what my leadership feels like. It might not be perfect. It might not be an exact representation of it. But there, right, any leader that leads from a good heart, you can see through it, and we could find what Jesus is trying to do. Okay, so, uh, you know, and we see Jesus in John 2.15, he's overturning tables, and we see him in Luke 13 saying, Jerusalem, you stoned the prophets, killed you, sent to you. How I've longed to gather you to me like a mother hen her, her chicks. All right, so we see this, this protection, right, where he's exercising authority and oversight, and then we also see this tenderness of his heart. And we see in Corinthians, Paul says, should I come to you with, with, with gentleness or with a rod of discipline? Right? Every leader is going to have to express both because it's part of leadership. All right, you guys with me still? Here's my next line. Why asking questions in church is so important and how to do it successfully? Can I get an amen? All right, so here's the point I'm trying to make with leadership. It's designed to disturb you. What do I mean by that? If, if, like if, I'm, you know, if I'm just walking in that direction and that's where I'm supposed to go, then I actually don't need a leadership. I don't need a leader, right? Like I don't need a leader unless by definition, he's gonna change my path. He's gonna change my course of action, right? So we, we have to recognize there's something about like, we just gotta recognize leadership's gonna disturb you at some point. If you're like, oh, man, I agree with everything that you agree with. We're all the same. It's never going to be anything but the same. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll just, just keep walking. Like, eventually it will. You know, like, that's like when people are, you know, oh, my gosh, no, like, literally, she's perfect. Like, it's never, it's, we've never had a fight. I'm like, ha! 
I'm not even married, but I know that's not good. You know what I mean? It's like, just wait. Those glasses going to fall off and it's going to get real, right? Can I get an amen? Right? It's the same with pastors. It's the same with any spiritual leader. It's the same with Jesus. You and Jesus don't think alike. He's holy. Like, we should expect a lot of correction coming from his way. Because he's holy. Like, we're not like him. He's trying to make us like him. Right? So, church leadership are kind of like those uh, middlemen that get the fun job of, like, fear of the Lord on that side. And then, like, oh, man, now these people, they might not like me. You know, what if I preach that verse, Lord, will they like me? And he's like, Jordan, do you care if they like you or not? Or are you going to do what I'm telling you to do? Okay, like this sermon series, not my favorite. You know, I'd rather be like, let's just dream with God. <laughs> you know, like, that sounds a whole lot more fun. Okay, so leadership's designed to disturb you, both when you're being led and when you're leading. And I would actually say in my experience, leading disturbs me a whole lot more than being led. I'm like, more and more, I'm like, I love being led. Just correct me, please. Like, help me, help me. Um, leading, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to tell them that. Nope, I don't want to tell them that. Nope, they're fine. I swear they're fine. Nope, no, no. Do I have to tell them that? What if they leave the church? This is just real. Okay, so when the dominating culture is autonomous, the disturbance can become a stumbling block. Right? So, like, because I'm used to self-law, self-rule, my own, my own paradigm of church, my own paradigm, like, right, I got it, all this, whatever, when I get disturbed, like, this can become a stumbling block because it's like, whoa, 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 who are you to tell me how to live my life? Who are you to tell me that, da, 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 right? And we can get this, there's, and this is just, this is real. Right? I've been in ministry not too long, but I've been in ministry full-time over six years now, and I've seen enough to know this is the case, right? So disturbance can become a stumbling block. And in a consumeristic culture, you can uh, easily get that stumbling block of your offense to go away because you can find another church that fits your preferences a lot better, a.k.a. removes the disturbance and allows me to maintain my own autonomy instead of submitting to the leadership of not a man, not a, not a particular church, not me, but of Jesus, right? So the problem, this is the problem. I'm not trying to call anybody out here, is that this is a huge flaw in how the church is designed to operate because when someone is experiencing disturbance, when you're sitting here and you're disturbed by something I say or something you experience in the life of the church, right, or, or something that's presented to you or a theological concern or whatever it is, right, and you just, you just leave and you don't use your voice and ask the question that Jesus is probably provoking inside of you, we all lose. We all suffer, right? Because questions are designed to provoke us. They're designed to refine our understanding of truth. And ultimately, they're designed to reveal Jesus's leadership to both the leaders and the congregation. Because we're not following the authority on a leader. We're following the Lord Jesus Christ, who's expressing himself through different leaders in different churches. Does that make sense? So we all lose. 1 Corinthians 12, it says, you know, when one, when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member is honored, we are all honored. We are one. 
whether we, whether we like each other or not, whether we leave and whatever, like we are still one. We are the church. We're the body. We are integrated so deeply. Right? He looks at us and he longs for us and he puts us in community and he puts us in contact with leaders that are designed to disturb us because he doesn't want us living in our own autonomy our whole lives because he knows that severs how much he can do through our lives. We were designed to function in a theonomous culture where God is governing my thought, my actions, my decision making so that literally his fruitfulness and his life force is flowing through me in everything I do and everything I touch. Right? And it is, it is the church, this imperfect, beautiful church that Jesus created with his blood that is our tutor that's going to disturb and refine and provoke us so that as we can journey into Christian maturity and becoming like Jesus, the Holy One. So I asked the Lord and I felt like he gave me an exhortation, two exhortations. One to the, to the, to the church, to the congregation, and, and one to church leaders. And I know there's many leaders within, within our community. And I just, this is what I felt the Lord might want to have a say. And this is to the congregation. You have a voice. Use it. Don't make assumptions. Don't partner with offense. Don't be emotional and flippant in making decisions regarding your relationship to the body of Christ. You have a significant role to play in creating the culture of the church God has called you to. If you are silent and fail to ask the questions that often Jesus himself is provoking in your heart, it does not just cost you, but cost everyone. Be bold and humble and show yourself a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is to leader, leadership. You do not need to prove to me or to anyone else that I've called you. Don't be afraid of being questioned in your leadership. It will only lead to a deeper authentication in both their eyes and your own that I am with you and have anointed you to govern within the family of God. When you don't know the answer to a question you're asked, humble yourselves before them and before me and say, I don't know. As you seek me, I will make the answer known to you. When you're convicted of shortcomings or of your flaws in leading, repent before them and before me, and I will be strong in your weakness. I have called you, and I will keep you. Thank you for saying yes to the precious and costly role of leading within my church. This is the truth. We all have something to learn. I have so much to learn. Do you know how awkward it's been leading a church in your 20s? Like truly, one of the most awkward, awkward experiences of my life. I don't understand it, but it's made me real dependent because I can't even convince myself I know what I'm doing, much less anyone else, right? But questions, right? And I could give you so many examples of when people come to me with questions. And I will tell them what I do know. But I will leave and I'm disturbed because it provokes in me so much that I don't know. How, how I'd, I'd only seen an incomplete picture and an incomplete portion 
of this whole puzzle that he's putting together in a local church. And so, so many of the sermons I've preached and the dialogues that have been provoked within our, within our community and the ministries that we do, I can trace them back to questions, questions that were brought to me. And so I need you to be a community of disciples that ask questions. And at the same time, I want to talk about how to ask a question and how not to ask a question. Is that fair? So I'm going to call this the autonomous dilemma. And that is in an autonomous culture that we're living in. And we've seen this in the... Uh, I'm running late, so we're not going to do Q&A. Sorry, Suze. I'm going to finish up right now. In an autonomous culture, tolerance, we see this all the time. A question will be asked not to learn, but to bait and switch so that I can impose my own autocracy on you. Right? So, like, tolerance is tolerant unless you don't believe exactly what they do. So you can't be a Christian and actually have beliefs and conviction because then they'll ask you a question of what you believe, but then they will flip from autonomy to a heteronomous culture and then try to impose what they think is right. right? So this is the world we're living in. It's kind of scary to ask questions. It's why I think a lot of leaders are afraid to expose themselves to the questions of people because it's like, oh, you're going to try to, right? So we can't ask questions to bait and switch so that I can impose myself and my own beliefs on someone. That's not a question. That's actually an impure motive to ask a question, right? That's not the way of a disciple. Disciple means learner, right? So the reason we ask questions is to learn, right? So if I'm asking questions, I'm trying to understand the heart, mind, and rationale for why someone does the things they do and says the things they say. And I would say, especially when it comes to the church, right? These are people, like I'm telling you, me and my staff, like, so, so many hours and time and thought and energy and effort into creating what happens in our church. And then sometimes questions come where it's like, do you want to hear the depth of history that's brought what you're experiencing to, to the market? You know, like questions, you'll learn something that you don't know, right? If you ask questions with the heart to understand. Right? The intention of asking questions to work through whatever disturbs and provokes you so that you can come to a place of understanding. And ultimately, that understanding is not just my heart or any other leader's heart, but understanding how Jesus is exercising authority in the life of a local church so that we can come under it. Amen? Amen. The questions and the dialogue that ensue pave the pathway for us to walk from our own autonomy and into the beautiful kingdom reality of a theonomous culture where God is governing our lives. The church is designed to be a disturbing place that will get you from there to here if we'll humble ourselves and we'll say yes to God's leadership. Amen? Amen. So I bless you. We are not going to have time tonight, but we will be short messages the next three weeks into prayer family mission, contextualizing this and creating space for you to ask questions during the message that will end with a Q&A time. So we're going to practice this, we're going to live this, and we're going to be a community of disciples. Amen? All right. We don't, we don't have ministry time tonight. Um, we'd actually ask if you can, like, leave quickly. <laughs> that would be awesome. So we love you so much, and we'll see you later this week at prayer or something. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.